grandma was the designated one to officiate funerals. And often when we'd meet together, we'd say, it's great to see each other, but hopefully next time a little bit better circumstance. Well, we had that last summer. We went up to Washington in a beautiful area. It was right on the Hood Canal, and all the family was there, and there were boats and all kinds of things to do. That was one of the reasons I, uh, the reason actually, that I decided to, to learn how to scuba dive. And, and that weekend was just amazing. And one of the things that happened as we were concluding that weekend is Steve, uh, Alice's cousin, uh, was trying to persuade us that when we would retire, that we would move up there. And as we were looking at just the, just the mountains and the water and just the sunsets, it was just amazing. For a moment, we were considering maybe the possibility that when we retire, we would move up to Washington. But as I proceeded to ask him some questions, I said, well, is it like this all year round? And then he proceeded to tell me, well, really, it's only like this one month out of the year. The other 11 months, it's just raining constantly and then snow everywhere. Well, you know, I, I, could, I could get used to a little rain being a native of California, but 11 months out of the year, that, that would be a challenge. And, and when you think about it, when we're in California, we don't get a lot of rain. In fact, when it does rain, and we'll ask each other, are you liking the rain? Usually the response back, I will hear from people, well, we really needed it. Well, you know, we can get used to a little bit more rain than we presently experience, and we can particularly welcome rain when we recognize that we need it, all the plants around us. But think for a moment, asking that question of Noah after he got off the boat. Uh, what do you think about rain? Now, first of all, that was the first time not only he had experienced, but everyone in terms of recorded human history had never experienced rain. As far as we know and kind of visualize how God did it, there was kind of a water canopy in which there was a mist and there was opportunity for God to uh, make sure water came from below as well as uh, within that water vapor that they had never experienced rainfall. And so as you're considering that, as people might interview him and say, hey, well, what do you think about rain? He might say, well, you know, the last time, the last time it happened, it was, it was kind of a, a traumatic experience. We had to run into this boat called an ark, and we were on it for 371 days, and there was devastation everywhere. I mean, just think about it, you know, and the whole seasons changed after, after the flood. Is, is, can you remember the next time, just think about the next time maybe some raindrops would start to fall? He would run, Mrs. Noah, we better get the kids and get in that boat again. Because all he had seen was devastation as it relates to rain. Well, as you think about that, and we talked about that a little bit last week, when, when they got off the boat, God wanted to assure them of his love and provision for them. And, and when he did that, really, he, he gave them uh, some, uh, some promises. And, and with it, there were some things that he wanted them to do as well. If you remember, uh, as, you, as you think about Genesis chapter 9, that, that God said that he would bless them. But with that blessing, it was a particular type of blessing. They would have the ability to have more children. God's part was to bless them, and their part was to believe the blessing to the point that they would then have children. Their, their, their responsibility was to have the children. And then we found out that, that God would provide for them by, by valuing them more than anything else he had ever made. And it was kind of a priority list. As he looked at all the animals that he had he had brought on that ark with Noah. He said, I want you to know that I will put the fear of God and the fear of you on those animals. That was God's part of it. Their part of it was to 
was to rule and have dominion over the animals. And then in the next part, he, he would provide for them. He says, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to feed you. There's going to be a lot more things on the menu than you ever had before. Everything that creeps, everything that moves is, is kosher now. You can eat anything. So God said you can eat it, and their responsibility was to eat it. Now, I'm so tempted to tell a story about John's, John Aldridge. He, he, he has, he has a, a struggle now because he got in some kind of contact with some cleaning solutions that kind of destroyed his ability to smell things in a pleasant way for a few weeks. And, and as he was telling me about that, he said, you know, I have to force myself to eat. And there are people, uh, particularly sometimes the older people get, there comes a point where they, they lose their appetite. And God blesses them with food, and their responsibility is to, is to eat it. And then finally, God says, I'm going to protect you. I don't want you to understand that a life matters to me. You're created in my image. And so when someone takes a life, then that life can be taken as well. And so there, there was a promise going on in which God had his part and we have our part. Well, right after that, then God kind of upped the ante a little bit and says, I, I want to make another promise to you. But now I want to make that promise and it's going to be all dependent upon me. Have you ever heard these phrases, uh, the check's in the mail, I'm on my way, I, I won't be late, uh, you got my word on it, uh, I'm making a vow, this is a commitment. And what do those words have in common? Often they don't mean what? Anything. Because people, and this is not say people, let's say we often will give our word our commitment, a, a promise to someone, and, and sometimes we don't exactly fall through. And sometimes even though that might be our intention, sometimes it's beyond our ability to maybe fulfill our promise, sometimes we've made that promise and we've just reneged on it because we saw a better deal somewhere. And, and so as God began life again with Noah and, and with all humankind, he wanted to give them a promise that they could count on. And what we have in Genesis chapter 9 is God giving what he has done in numerous ways throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. He makes a covenant with his people. And so if you have your outline this morning, we're going to try to race through some things. And let me just give you a word of warning. It's going to sound rather technical to begin with, but there's a simple, powerful point that God wants to really penetrate our hearts with this morning. We are, we are so used to people breaking their word, not fulfilling their vows or their, their commitments or the things they promise to do. And after a while, we, we kind of reflect back. So I wonder if God's like that. Can, can I really trust that God will do what he has said he will do? Well, God loves to have object lessons, and we're going to have some experience with an object lesson called the communion table toward the end of our worship time together. But, but he wants us to know in the depths of who we are that we can count on him and we can count on his word. And let me just throw this in for now. Obviously, we're, we're talking about God making a covenant, but there are many promises God has given. I, I was doing a survey with some of our people a while back, and I asked them, well, what, what's your favorite promise? And there were varieties that, that came up but there was one that came up over and over and over again. 
And unbeknownst to many people, it's repeated over and over and over again. Probably the most familiar place it's found, um, you might not know the reference, but you know it's in the New Testament, is in Hebrews chapter 13, 5, where, 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 where God promises, that Jesus promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. And what's, that, what's God saying there is that God's presence will be with you always. Uh, the first time I'm aware of it being stated that clearly is, is, is in Genesis chapter 28, the book of beginnings in verse 15, where God gives that promise to Jacob and says, I'm not going to leave you. I will fulfill everything I've said to you. My presence will be with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But we've all experienced times where we thought, well, where, where, where's God? God, you're not showing up. Where are you during the darkest times, if, if not for me, for people I care about? Just this weekend, I, I, you know, in a week, a, you know, a good friend of mine, um, you know, his, his son this week has been put in jail. You know, where is God right now? I was hearing a prayer request just before the service, and um, Mike uh, worked with a with a man, his, his employer, that his son was driving up to Lake Arrowhead in horrendous car crash, basically on life support. And and the issue where where is God, and what's going to happen next? And we could list over and over and over again just things that, that bring us to the core of who we are. And you got, God, what's, what's happening or why is it happening? What's going what's gonna to be your next play? And this side of eternity, we will not be able to give specific answers to those questions for ourselves or for others. But we can tell our own lives, our own hearts, as well as those we care about this, that that God will always be there. His presence will show up. And we're right in that context where I'm sure Noah was wondering for he and his family. I mean, again, when's the hammer going to fall on us? You just, you just wiped out an entire planet except for us eight. And I'm sure... When the seasons begin to come and the, the raindrops begin to fall, they're wondering, is, is this the next big one? We live in California where we're running, we, you know, we, hear tremor, we feel tremors and earthquakes, and we're, we're always wondering, when's the, when's the big one going to show up? And so God gave them a promise. He made a covenant with them. And here's where I want to get a little bit technical, but, but I, I want to give it because this is how God portrays it. We will sometimes use words to somehow up the ante with the things that we say. You know, sometimes if we're talking about something and we're, we're, we're not sure people are, are really thinking we're serious, and say, no, no, I'm, I'm really promising this, I'm really going to do this, and we'll kind of emphasize it maybe with emotions over certain words. Sometimes, even if we have a pretty good track record, if, if we're about to say something other people are not, aren't necessarily going to believe, we'll say, no, no, I'm telling you the truth, and hopefully realize we always tell the truth. But I'm telling you the truth this time. I'm really telling you the truth. And Jesus did that. He said, truly. Then sometimes I say, truly, truly, I say to you. Uh, now, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that all we ought to be able to have to say is yes or no. But we know we need to at times have assurance that, that what 
is being committed to will actually come to pass. So what God did is he, he made a covenant. And we're going to look at that toward the end of the illustrations of this. But there are basically six clear covenants in the scripture. Now, what is a covenant? A covenant literally means when some, a, a deal is cut. Remember, we use that sometimes, I'm cutting you a deal. The word bereath actually comes from cutting. And we'll see how that's illustrated in the, in the Old Testament. But it really means I'm making a binding promise. This, I'm giving, I'm all in on this. This is, this is all I'm behind. I'm behind everything I'm saying to you. Now, there are basically two types of covenants in the Scriptures. There's six of them, but there's two types of covenants. We're going to look at the unique one first, and then we're going to look at the other five quickly. Basically, the two types of covenants, there are covenants that are bilateral and conditional, and then there are covenants that are unilateral and unconditional. And you're thinking, do I really need to know this? Is this really going to be on the test? Uh, yeah, when you get to heaven and, and God asks you about the covenants, and you say, well, I don't know anything about the covenants. They say, weren't you listening on that Sunday when they were preaching out that in their sermon? Is, there are basically two types of covenants, bilateral and conditional and unilateral and unconditional. And I'll kind of get the mystery of that real quick. The one bilateral and conditional covenant is the Mosaic covenant. And basically what we're saying here is it is a, an agreement or a commitment or a treaty or a vow in which both people are signing in on it. And many times we have contracts, you, you sign on the dotted line and the other person signs on the dotted line or you shake on it, whatever it might be, and you're saying, we're, we're both agreeing to this and also to the conditions of it. And because of time, we're not going to look at all the passages, but I invite you to afterwards. The Mosaic Covenant in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and that's the second giving of this covenant, or the second giving of this law, God says this, if you obey all the conditions of this covenant, I will bless you. And then he goes on and says, now if you disobey the conditions of this covenant then you'll experience the, curse, the curses of this covenant. So basically it's saying bilateral, both people are signing off on it. And then secondly, both sides are to be fulfilled, their sides of the agreement, their sides of the, the contract. The Mosaic covenant is that. In fact, as we look into the future, Jesus fulfilled that covenant, that agreement between God and man when he came. And that, that covenant has been completely fulfilled. And the people of Israel throughout the Old Testament experienced the blessings of God and the consequences for not being obedient because it was a bilateral. Both had, a, had their parts, and it was conditional. You were to do your part, and God was supposed to be doing his part. But the other covenants, the promises, commitments God made to man, were unilateral and unconditional. And by that we're saying unilateral, it's only God signing the document. He said, this, this is all on me. This has nothing to do with your response to what agreement I'm making with you. And then unconditional, there's really nothing I'm requiring of you. I'm making the, the contract, I'm making the covenant, I'm initiating it, and I'm the only one that is promising to do his side of this covenant or agreement. Now, quickly, let me, let me just give you some of the ones that are in the Old Testament. Um, example, there's the priestly covenant. 
And this is an obscure one, but it was given to one priest who was faithful to God. And because his faithfulness to God at a time where God was judging Israel, God gave him a covenant. He said, from, from this day on, every one of your descendants will be a, a, in the priestly line. And it had nothing to do with how faithful Phineas and the rest of his descendants would be from that day on. But God says, because you were faithful to me here, this is a agreement, a commitment I am making to you, and it's all on me, your descendants will always be in the priestly line. And then you have the Abrahamic covenant. This was a covenant God made to Abraham, and again, it was a covenant he made to him to bless them, to make his descendants as, as, as many as the stars are in heaven, and a land that he would give them, and the eternal kingdom that would come from his line, he said, this will be on my commitment to you, unilateral, and it does not depend upon how faithful you will be the rest, not only your life, but the life of your descendants. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 15. If you were 9, you just flip over a little bit. And here I want you to illustrate the, the object lesson of God making a covenant with his people and how unilateral it was. Starting in verse 7, he says, Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to, in, to inherit it. So this is one of the things he's promising. I'm going to give you a land. This land will be yours. And he said, Oh, Lord God, how, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So right off the top, God's making a promise. And Abraham, being very honest, sometimes we hide what we're thinking and what, what we're feeling. He's saying, no, I'm not sure you can fulfill your part of this bargain. How do I know I'm really going to get what you're promising me? And so God says, verse 9, uh, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two. Remember I said a bereath or a covenant was cutting a deal? This is where that word comes from. Uh, down in the middle and place each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Now I want you to picture what has happened. God has just been challenged by Abraham. How do I know I'm going to inherit this land that you're promising to me and my descendants? I don't, have, I don't have anything right now. It's hard to imagine that I'm going to have this land. He said, okay, let me give you an object lesson. Get, all, get these animals, and I want you to gut them out, slice them in two. And then when I put in this ravine, I want to put one side of the animal that you cut on one side and the other side of the animal on the other side. Now, when he got to the two, uh, two birds, the turtle doves and the, and the doves, uh, they were... Uh, they were a little small. So he said, okay, just take two of each and throw one on one side and one on the other. They're dead. Okay, and there's, so there's carcasses on both sides. So basically what you have here is you have animals split apart and they're on two sides of a, of a gully. And vultures are coming in to consume them and they get the vultures away. Now what happens next is now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will affect them 400 years. Afflict them. He's, in his dream, he's telling them what he's going to do. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterward. They shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return there, for the iniquity of the, the Amorites is not yet complete. Which is an interesting story because this is exactly what happened as you read through the book of Genesis and into Exodus. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying... 
to your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, and then he describes the various lands in which they'll have. Now, what I want you to understand is he put Abraham to, to sleep. Now, if two people were making a bilateral and conditional covenant or promise, both of them would walk down that particular uh, gully, and what they would be saying, if I don't fulfill my side of this covenant, if I don't fulfill my promise, may you do to my body what we just did to those animals. May you cut me up and split me apart. But what God did, he gave Abraham a great sleep, and instead of both of them walking down the middle of that gully, it was only God who walked down the middle of that gully. And God would say, you may do this to me if I don't do my part of the promise. So when we think of any of the promises, when God doesn't fulfill his promises, who does that reflect on? God and God alone. Now, there are other places in God's Word which speaks about the things that we are to do and the things that God has promised He will do. But there are certain promises to His people that are unconditional and only on His side in terms of making that happen. And one of those covenants is with Phineas being the priestly line, the promises to Abraham, and just looking at a couple of others real quickly, the Davidic covenant, and if you're going to look at these passages afterwards. I put down the wrong reference. It's not 2 Samuel 12. It's 2 Samuel 7, 15 through 16 and 15 through 26. The, the statement of being, it being a covenant is found in Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4, in which God basically says to David, not basically, he does say to David, it's going to be from your descendants in which the everlasting kingdom will come. And it was from the line of David that Jesus came. And as we look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament always points us to Jesus and God's promise that he was going to send a deliverer, a redeemer. And it was always going to be on God's part, not our part. It was a unilateral promise. It was an agreement he was making. It was unconditional. It was not dependent upon what we would do. God was going to send the redeemer. And then you have the Noahic covenant. There are six covenants. One of them is bilateral and conditional, the one in Mosaic, if you do your part, I'll do my part. If you don't do your part, you'll get the consequences of what you've done. There is the unconditional and the unilateral, God initiating, and God saying, I'm going to do what I'm going to do no matter what you do. That was true of the Phineas, the priestly covenant. It was true of the Abrahamic covenant. It was true of the Davidic covenant. And it's also true of the covenant we have in Genesis chapter 9, the Noahic covenant. If you're back at Genesis chapter 9, real quickly, we'll look at what God promised there. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 8. Then God spoke to Noah and said to his sons with him, As be, and Behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth, and you, all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. What was the promise that he was giving Noah and not only Noah but his family and actually every creature that lived and every one that would come after those creatures that were living at, at Noah's time? I will never destroy the earth again with the rains from heaven and the waters from below. Every time we see the storms coming, and it might be a great storm, but it's not going to be the storm that was in Noah's day. I will not destroy the world with the floods that came in Noah's time. 
But you might be thinking, well, how, how, how do I know you're not going to forget this promise? Have you ever made a promise to someone and then forgot you made the promise? Am I the only one? Okay. Sometimes, you know, man, great intentions. And I was going to do that, and then I got busy, and I forgot. Oh, is it this time? Oh, man, I'm supposed to be there. You know, you know how, about, how about God forgetting that? Uh, verse 12, and, and God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I have made between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generation. I set my rainbow in the sky, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant. I will remember my promise. I will remember my vow to you, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be the cloud, and I will look on it to remember again, remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all the flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Do you like looking at rainbows? I mean, aren't they amazing? I mean, just, just they're incredible. And throughout history, people have been fascinated by rainbows. Uh, actually, the word for rainbow in the original language is not rainbow. It just means bow. It, it, it really has the idea of, of that what you use in battle. And God hung that in the sky and said, the battle that I had with mankind in which I came to destroy, and bows during the days of war were instruments of, of death. That will not happen again. But people have said all kinds of things as it relates to, to rainbows. Some people look at it because it goes from the earth up into the skies and say it's, it's a stairway to heaven. All right? Sounds like a Rolling Hills, Rolling Stones you know, song. Okay, you know, some look at that, the rainbow and, and they, they, they think of uh, the Irish leprechauns, right? Irish leprechauns and there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and if you just get there, you get the pot of gold. Actually, in the European countries, they have a little bit of spin on that. And then there's, they believe the angels put the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Uh, but it, 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 the only one who's ever going to possibly find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow will be a man who somehow lost his, his clothes. I don't recommend trying that, but anyway, that's... that's the other, other European countries sometimes look at that and they say, if you can somehow walk uh, from one side of a rainbow to the other side, I mean, it turns uh, underneath it. Have you ever tried doing that? Find the rainbow and kind of go from one side to the other side? Actually, physically impossible to do that. But if you could somehow do that, the, the, the legend is, if a man is able to do that, he will instantly turn from a man to a woman. And if a woman does it, the woman will turn from a woman to a man. And I, don't, I, don't, I don't suggest trying that either. But, you know, there, there's all kinds of things. that. But, but God has put it very plainly what the rainbow is. It's a sign from him that when he makes a promise, when he makes a covenant, particularly the covenant in which he said, this is what I'm initiating. Not only am I initiating, I am putting no conditions on you. Have you ever thought about it for a moment? What kind of a performance standard would it be? It's, I'm going to do everything I can so that the floods don't ever come again. Man, what a burden to go through the rest of your life. I, I, I don't want to mess this up because all the rains will come. Because you, you don't never have to worry about that again. Because when I, when I make a promise, it's, it's, it's like cutting all these animals and splitting them apart. And may that happen to the God of the universe if God is not faithful to his promise. 
But as you look at the covenants, you have the Mosaic covenant, which is unique, it's, it's conditional, and then you have the other covenants, the priestly covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the Noahic covenant. And then you have the covenant that brings us to a, a, a place like this on a Sunday morning. It's the new covenant. It's the covenant that, that every other promise led up to. In which God says, okay, I've done everything else to show you that you can't make it on your own. You, you are not good enough to reach my standard. You, you can't take a written law and obey it well enough to be good enough to measure up to a standard that's way beyond you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that law, instead of having put it on tablets, I'm going to write it on your heart. And I want you to understand that to live the, the life that I want you to live, it comes from the inside out. And I want you to know that I'm going I'm to make it very clear that your body, I'm not going to try to force you to, to, to worship me in temples made with hands, which are only a picture of what really is important to me. I'm, I'm going to make your body that temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God, and that you're not your own. You've been bought with a price, and therefore you are to glorify God in your body. And I've placed my spirit within you. And in Hebrews chapter 8, he says, I'm giving you a, a new promise, a new covenant. And it's a much better one. It's the one that will have an eternal impact that will fulfill everything I intended for you. God set a rainbow in the sky to look back at the covenant he made with Noah that he would never send judgment like that again. And as we think of what is the symbol that God's new covenant is one that we know that he won't forget but that we would not forget. There are two, there are two object lessons that God has given. One is, one is the communion table. And the other is baptism. Turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26, you could read the entire section. But he says, For I receive, this is Paul speaking to a church. And in that church is like, would be like in any church. There were those who who were, they were posers, they were coming, but they didn't really experience a life with God, and they were showing up, but all that they did didn't really mean anything because it was all external. There were those who were walking close to God, and there were those who were struggling in their faith. And he said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, God, God never, never forgets his promises and covenants to us, but sometimes we forget his covenants and promises he's made for us. He says, In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the, what covenant there? The new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
In a few moments, we're going to give you the opportunity to come to those tables and, and take the elements, the bread and the cup, and bring them back to the place where you, you're seated today. And this morning, we're, we're going to ask you just to wait on, on participating in that, and we're, we're going to take it together. But, but what you're doing is, is similar to what God did when he put that rainbow in the sky. He said, I, I don't want you to forget that I, I am a God not only of judgment, but a God of grace and mercy. And the symbol for us to, to remember about the new covenant is the cross. That, that Jesus died that death in our place and took on our judgment, our sin so that we might be eternally forgiven and that we might experience His presence always. Now, now God is always faithful to His promise, but I guess we have to decide, are we in or are we out? Have we come to that place in our life where this is more than just a symbol, but it is an expression of our faith? I do believe that when Jesus body was on that cross that that should have been me on that cross when he suffered the wrath of God upon sin that should have been me and when his blood was poured out that blood is sufficient to forgive me and to cleanse me of all my sin the other mark for the followers of Christ is baptism and baptism doesn't save you communion doesn't save you but baptism is that outward expression of that faith that is within. And the Bible, God gave instructions to his followers that we should go everywhere to present the message about Jesus and, and then invite people to publicly demonstrate their faith in such a way that shows that as they go underneath the waters, it symbolizes their old life is dead and when they come out of the waters, they have new life in Christ. See, we can, we can count on it that, that God will fulfill His covenants, His promises, because God is faithful. And, and then He invites us to trust Him. As you go to the table this morning, I, I invite you to, to think about where you are in relationship to Him. Number one, I, I, have you come to that point where you've, you've admitted your need and turned from your sin? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ fully paid the penalty for your sins and rose again? Have you committed to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord, God, and Savior? If, if you haven't, then this is the day to do that. To get in on the promise of God, of forgiveness, and everlasting life. And if there's something in your life that's not right with Him, th this, is, this is the day to get it right. I, I want to experience your forgiveness in a fresh way this morning. Or, or maybe you're having a hard time trusting him. Say, God, if I can trust you for my eternity, then, God, I should be able to trust you for whatever trial or challenge I'm going through. You can count on it, God's promises, because you can count on him. Let's pray. Father, you are faithful. And even when we are faithless, because you are faithful, 
you will fulfill all that you have promised to those who know you and love you. Father, is anyone here on the fence this morning? Might they, might they decide completely and fully to trust you? Not only for their relationship with you, but for life with you. Help this be an act of worship as we remember what you did on the cross for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.